So there are a great uh, many things I have to be thankful for uh, today. Uh, I'm very grateful for kids' worship. Uh, today, I sort of wish it wasn't ages three to five. I wish it was sort of up to fifth grade. Um, because the story I have to tell is so sordid, I'm not entirely sure I want it rattling around in young minds and hearts. Um, I, have, I haven't been here in, in weeks. I've been, I've been preaching other places, and so I, I haven't heard uh, this series on David. Uh, David, the divided heart, I, I get that. Um, but the more you look at the story today, the less you're going to think about everybody involved. And at some point, we'll have to decide what we want to do with that. Um, I titled my sermon, The Original Game of Thrones. Now, this was very brave on my part because it required I do more research on the Game of Thrones than I do on the Bible story. Uh, I want you to know I have seen exactly one episode of Game of Thrones, the last one, and apparently you had to be there before that to get it. How many of you saw the last episode? Oh, you wouldn't admit it? Okay. Uh -uh. I also have seen exactly one episode of Seinfeld, the last one. I, I decided I would watch the last episode to see what it was all about, and apparently you also had to be there uh, for that uh, to make any sense. Um, but my understanding is, from my vast research on the Game of Thrones, is the most famous line is this. Look, this is going to be an exact quote. I'm better with the Bible, okay, and I'm proud of it. Uh, <laughs> When you play the Game of Thrones, if you don't win, you die. And it turns out, in this story of David and Absalom, that's true. Now, I actually had to do research to find out who Absalom's mother is, and it's somebody you've never heard of, unless you're a real Bible wonk. You know, you know David's got his wife Abigail, and you know he's got his wife Bathsheba, but there are lots of other people kind of roaming around the palace of David too. And Absalom's mother is somebody who basically doesn't figure in the story. And uh, this, um, this story is, is basically the working out of this curse that the prophet Nathan, through the power of God, places on David. After David's sin of, with Bathsheba and his virtual murdering of Uriah, the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. 
you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And the horrible thing is, as bad as Absalom is, he's not even the worst person in this story. Not even close. The worst is his half-brother, Amnon, who decides he wants to sleep with Absalom's sister, who is his half-sister. I thought about putting a uh, family tree of David, but uh, it's just impossible. There are no boundaries in this family. So Amnon takes his half-sister, wants to sleep with her. She refuses. In 2 Samuel 13, verse 14, we have these chilling words. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. And as bad as that is, and you think it can't get any worse, it does. After he rapes her, he throws her out the house like a piece of trash. Because he's done with her now. Reminds me of somebody. His father. King David, who saw and wanted and took. Well, Absalom bides his time, but he's looking for revenge. He waits two years. Revenge is best served cold. He lures Amnon out. He had to basically lie to David to get him out there where he was in a good place. He got him good and drunk and then had his men kill him. Okay, he's got his revenge. Um, there's something about me that would have liked it better if he had challenged him to a duel and not got him drunk and have him murdered. Absalom's now on the outs with David, sort of, but David's a doting father. Absalom eventually gets to come back home, and Absalom is someone who can really work a crowd. He's handsome, he's glib, and he promises everybody everything. You want justice in the kingdom, you're never going to give it with the administration of David. What you need to do is look to me. And Absalom has this figured out. He is never going to be king by natural means if Absalom's going to be king 
He's going to have to take it. And so he decides to do that. And he starts this rebellion and actually has a pretty good opportunity to, uh, to kill David at one point, but David kind of outfoxes him. And, and then they wound up in that fateful battle in Ephraim Woods. David's people rout Absalom's. Absalom's got long hair, apparently, and when I was growing up, this story was primary to show us that you shouldn't have long hair if you're a... <laughs> if you're a man and I may have violated everything else in the Bible but I got this one <laughs> gets caught in the tree branches is hanging there people told me this story when I was like in third or fourth grade I can't believe it Joab who is leading David's forces has a personal grudge against Absalom because Absalom burnt, once burned one of his fields. Sees him hanging there. And the text isn't too clear, but I'm guessing Joab said something like, not long live David, but you remember that field? And uses him for a dartboard. Kills him. Rebellion put down. David now safe on the throne. But he'd ordered his people to kill everybody but Absalom because Absalom's family, like Amnon's family. And the only thing he can ask about is is Absalom okay? What happened to Absalom? Joab was the only one of the soldiers who had the nerve to kill him and he and they finally make it clear to David he's dead and David wails Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom and this is where we need a little more from Joab than the text gives us because Joab is very clear eyed about this it's like, would you quit whining, old man? Would you start acting like a king? Because don't you know there is not enough room in the world for David and Absalom? Whatever romantic ideals you have about somehow Absalom finding the error of his ways and become obedient son, somebody's going to die here. When you play the Game of Thrones, if you don't win, you die. Either David's going to die or Absalom's going to die. I killed him for you. Now straighten up. And David does. And I can't help but admire Joab a little bit. It's kind of hard to talk to a king that way, especially a one who's shown a perfect readiness to kill everybody but his family, who mostly deserve to die. Well, it's a lovely story. It's a sweet family. What shall we do? Uh, 
There's no making David the good guy in this story. This is his family. Where do you think Absalom learned this stuff? If you want to be king, you got to take it. Um, it, you know, it just it so happens here. I'm I'm preaching this text uh, in an absolutely terrible week in American politics. Although the way things have been going, it would have been hard to miss, right? Doesn't really matter which week I'm doing it. It'll have been a bad week. And maybe this is what I ought to think about. When you play the Game of Thrones, this is the way it always goes. Because the people who are playing it are deeply sinful human beings. And the only thing worse than a sinful human being is one with power. It just gets worse. Um, I've spent most of the last 20 years of my professional life and a good deal of it before then uh, trying to prove one thing. I've convinced no one so far. Sin and power are very closely related. Because when human beings have power, they begin to think they're more than they are. And then everything goes bad. Um, well, um, that's not what you came to hear today. Uh, you probably didn't really want to spend your afternoon explaining this to your fourth grader. So maybe I can say something else. There is a hero in this story. The hero in this story's name is Yahweh, the God of Israel. Because somehow, he is going to manage to take this hopeless, sinful, horrible mess and out of it raise up a Messiah. David is going to turn out to be a bit player in his own story. The real star of this story is going to be his descendant, Jesus Christ. And this king is going to be a very different king from David. He is going to establish the kingdom of God that is not going to be built on power, but is going to be built on relentless, self-giving love. And this kingdom is going to endure forever and ever. Everything David's kingdom isn't 
this kingdom is going to be. It is the only possible solution to the human problem of sin and power. The game of sin and power, it doesn't matter which side wins, everybody loses. Um, I, I didn't... Uh, I didn't have anything to do with the pick, picking out of the songs uh, today. We, we did sing some of my favorite songs. Um, Be Still My Soul has always been one of my, my, my favorite uh, songs. I find myself uh, humming it and singing little snatches of the words. And uh, uh, many of you will know this, but probably not everybody will. Uh, the music to that song comes from a very nationalist piece of music. You know, it's one of those army marching, raise the flag kinds of pieces of music. That's where the music for that song comes from. And that makes me like the song even better because it's not only beautiful, it's subversive. My soul can be still because that kind of kingdom comes and goes. But the kingdom of God endures. Um, when I was growing up, we used to sing a lot of uh, Stamps Baxter songs, and uh, there was one of them I liked. I didn't mean that to come out exactly the way it did. <laughs> Not exactly, but... Uh, um, and, we, and we never sang that one, of, of course, the one, the, the, the one I like. It's sort of hard to sing. Um, but I don't know, maybe some of you old uh, timers will remember it. The kingdoms of earth pass away one by one, but the kingdom of heaven remains. Raise your hand if you've never seen that song. Okay, the same, the same three people that saw the Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> it is built on a rock, and the Lord is its king, and forever and ever it stands. It shall stand, it shall stand forever and ever. Amen. And amen. I think there's an enormous temptation uh, for us today to want to play the power game. And I just want to suggest that even if you win, you lose. Because that's not God's way. And if you win, if you acquire that power because you are human, you will become what you have beheld and despised. That's what happens. Um, I don't want to be the victim of other people's power. 
And I'll tell you as truthfully as I can, I don't want them to be the victim of mine. And as I read this story, I'm struck so by the contrast with the story of that other king who, who has all of the power that Absalom wants, that David has, but refuses to use any of it. Because instead of overpowering you, he decides that he wants to win your heart. And he leads you down the road of self-giving love. Um, I was uh, reading some uh, theology this week. It was a slow week. Um, and uh, it, 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 there, there was a long section that was sort of a meditation on uh, Christian agape and agape was uh, not a very significant word at all until Christians adopted um, and he, he, he was sort of doing the thing where he was comparing it to eros and you know we think eros we think erotic love and uh, we, we tend to think about the most kind of degenerate uh, forms of erotic love and we may think of eros in terms of sex but that's not really what it is it's not what it is in Plato and Aristotle eros is this desire of human beings reaching forward to become all that they can be and realizing themselves and the author says that's the real threat it's not perverted sex. It's the human ambition to do for themselves what only God can do for them. Because when you start flexing your power, what we see in this story is what happens. David wins, right? Well, the royal line is going to go through his wife Bathsheba to Solomon who is going to lead Israel into widespread idolatry by marrying everyone in the whole wide world. <laughs> He's going to vex the kingdom with his ambitions to build. And shortly after he's gone, it's going to fall apart. The great kingdom of David, mighty David's kingdom, won't even survive a few generations before it's gone. Um, one, of, one, of the, uh, one of the perils of... Uh, living in the United States, Molly, I was thinking about this and you were talking about England. Um, you know, people in England um, drink at a pub that was there 300 years before the Revolutionary War. And uh, they, they have a little different sense of history there, ne never mind going to Greece where, you know, anything that's not 2,000 years old is kind of a new development. Uh, and uh, you know, we, we, we don't have... We don't, we don't have much of a sense of, of history. I was, I was just reading a 
uh, a book about 10, 10 different Caesars and looking at the, the Roman Empire and how, how long it, it lasted. And um, it, it did pretty well. But by the way, it was all the Game of Thrones and every one of their families is exactly like David's. They're all killing their sons and daughters. And, and uh, the only difference is in the Roman Empire, uh, the women are a little more involved in the story than they are uh, in this one. That, that is, they're, they're, they're pretty good at the, at the game too. It's, um, and, uh, you know, we think, we think this blip on the cosmic screen uh, the American experiment is going to be here forever. Uh, and I don't know, I'd say that's highly unlikely. Nothing else has worked that way. Um, and the kingdoms of earth pass away one by one. But the kingdom of heaven remains. It will stand it will stand not by the power or manipulation or cleverness of the human beings who are a part of it but by the relentless love of God in Jesus Christ which calls us to give ourselves and in giving ourselves to find out who we truly are um I am not inspired to go back and look at all the episodes of the Game of Thrones. Um, I think I'm going to take a pass on that. I wasn't inspired to go back and look at all the episodes of Seinfeld either. Uh, I also have never seen an episode of The Office. Okay, now I'm just bragging. But what's more, I don't want to play the Game of Thrones. Because even if you win, you lose. Rather than clench my fist, I want to open my palms to receive the relentless love of God and see if I can pass a little of that along. I want to be a kingdom, a part of the kingdom that Jesus is building, not the kingdom of David. I don't think much of Absalom. I think even less of Amnon. I become less and less a fan of David. But I have their same disease. I'm human. And I need a savior. And I fear who I would be if I had the power that they had. Paul says, God is calling us in Jesus Christ to be a new creation. A new kingdom, not built on power, but built on relentless, self-giving love.